welcome to Think with Sarav. So glad you're here. The purpose of this podcast is to help you grow deeper in relationship with God. And if you don't believe in God, please stay tuned because there's great content here you don't want to miss. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share. Now here is Sarav. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you're doing well. Your family is doing well. Thank you for joining me today. Today, I want to talk to you about King David. He comes in the picture in the Old Testament in the book of Samuel, chapter 16. He was the youngest son and the shepherd in the family. You might know him from the story of David and Goliath because he's known for slaying Goliath, the giant. And we will talk about him and that story particularly today in this story. And uh, we see his story of conquest and obedience to God's law in the Old Testament. And uh, that's when we know that he is going to be the man of God because God is favoring or God is making successful of those who trust and, and follow him. So Samuel the prophet, he anoints David the second king of Israel. Since the first king Saul didn't walk in God's command and Saul's household was now becoming deposed and the house of David is going to be established as king of Israel. This is very important because his his adult life is, is spent until the age of 30 at least, is spent running away from the king Saul. Saul is insecure and Saul is thinking that he's, since he is his glory is rising so fast that he probably is going to kill me and then take my kingdom. And we will know this story as well later because he, uh, because David has no such intentions. And David spends his adult life running, battling, and other issues. It is extremely difficult to include here everything King David had done and he does in, in the Old Testament. But I am attempting to pull at least three lessons from his early days of his life, at least very early in his run from King Saul. He is an outlaw at the time. So I'm trying to pull together three lessons we can learn from this king. There are many lessons to learn. Make no mistakes. This guy is a tremendous lover of God. He is obeying and trusting God continuously. And he learns a lot. And he quickly uh, he quickly does what God has called him to do, even though he does, he does many mistakes. And we know one of the mistakes he has done in his life as a king was how he slept with Bathsheba and then he killed her husband. And that's one of the things we will talk probably in the future lessons. But today I want to focus on three things we can learn from this king. Let's get it started. And first thing I want you to I want you to think about is how you need to trust God, not your own strength. This is the first thing that I want us to get 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 out of David's story because this became obvious very early in the life of David. At the age of 15 to 17, between whichever is between 17 to 15 to 17, he slays the experienced warrior. Very experienced. Goliath has been on the in, in different wars in the battle, and David is a shepherd. But then this is the story told to us by Samuel. It says. In the first Samuel chapter 17, verse 4 to 7, it says, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 
about 125 pounds. He also wore um, bronze leg armors, and he, is, he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy as as heavy and thick as weaver's beam, tipped with a iron spearhead, and weighed about fifteen pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Look at this man. This giant is uh, extremely big. You can tell because it's, he's nine feet tall. And compare him with David. David is a tiny guy. He's about the age of fifteen or seventeen. He's he's a shepherd. But uh, comparison between Goliath and David is very important because it is obvious to us that on his own strength, David cannot do anything. This is a giant warrior, right? But the story is that giant warrior is now coming to Israel and taunting the army of Israel. Look at what it says in 17 to 18 from the same book. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He said. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servant of Saul, the king. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelite heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Goliath is challenging the army of Israelites because he knows that he cannot see anybody as tall as him, as big and as championed as him. He cannot see anybody because nine feet tall, you can easily see him standing out in the crowd. And this is this is why he wants to fight one-on-one because he is sure that he's going to beat whatever that one-on-one person is going to be. He's going to beat and then he has this intentions of just taking the whole Israel slave into slavery without even shedding any blood because he's sure that he's going to beat all of whatever whoever comes to him so he's taunting this happens this does not stop immediately this happens often every single day the goliath would come out and then taunt israelite and his and the army of israelite and one day david is coming to this camp bringing food for his brothers jesse sends david saying get this food to your brothers and then he hears this Goliath taunting the army of Israel, and he cannot believe that. He cannot believe that how dare this dog, that's what he called, how dare this Philistine curse the army of Israel. And, and then he, imagine the courage, imagine the courage of David, and imagine the soldiers, soldiers and all the army looking at David and saying, you're just a little guy, what are you talking about? Just drop off the food and get away, because you have nothing that you can defeat this Goliath with. And this is very interesting because, because even Goliath gets def- uh, offended. He says, he says to the army, you think I am a dog to bring this kid out to fight with me? You bring this kid against me? I am experienced warrior. I am the man who, who who defeated and killed many in the in the battlefield, and you're sending this kid who has never been in the war. And he looks like a kid. <laughs> and he gets offended as well. The emotion in this in this army camp is palpable. Everybody can hear. Um, everybody can hear Goliath. And everybody can see David. And they're looking at King Saul, who is going to send this kid out in the battle. 
And literally, the fate of all Israelite depends on Goliath in David's hand. David is going to either have to defeat this Goliath and uh, then save everybody from slavery. But if he loses, he will die for sure. But also he will take everybody else into slavery to Philistine. This is a very difficult decision for Saul. But nonetheless, Saul trusts in God and his courage and his confidence. And he, he trusts David's confidence as well. And he sends out David to fight with, with this Goliath. And then David replied, replied to the Philistine, he says, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of our heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom ye have defied. Look at the courage of David. He's saying, I don't care what you've I don't care what you would say to any other people. I don't care about anything. I wouldn't he wouldn't even care about what he would say to him, but he cannot stand and take the the this Goliath, this army, this Man of Philistine, defying the name of the Lord Jesus, name, name of the Lord Jesus Christ, name of our God, Yahweh. He's saying, you, you are defying the Lord's army. And then that confidence, that zeal for God is what's fueling up his passion and his, his, his fueling up his, his courage to go out there and fight with him. He's trusting that. He, he knows that when he stands against this Goliath, God is going to stand for him and he's going to take that shot and he's going to be victorious. And it says in the book of Samuel again, 17 to 47, it says, And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. This is what David is saying. Not by your sword and spear, not by my sword and spear, nothing. But the Lord's, this is Lord's battle. He doesn't need any sword and a spear. And you don't need to, you don't need to depend on sword and spear because God is the one who is going to rescue, and he will show you that who he is today. Sure enough. We know the rest, right? We know the rest. God gives David victory. He beats, he kills Goliath, and Goliath is dead. And then all of them know that God was with David and God was with, with Israel. And his confidence and his trust in the Lord is what rescued him. And that is exactly what I want to talk to you today. Hey, what about you? Are you trusting in the Lord with all your life? Are you trusting in everything that God is doing? Because many times we are tempted, we might be tempted at least, to depend on our skills, on our talent, on our ability to do things, and on our tools and everything. It, it might be tempted to depend on the things that we have control over. But what about the things that you don't have control over? You know that the battle will get fierce in your life. They're, I know they're, they're financial burdens. They're hard to meet. The school is difficult. The children are difficult. Everything you thought would go perfectly aren't going perfectly. But here I am to encourage you today, my brothers and sisters, we have to listen to this. Listen to this. God, trust in him. He will come through. It is not always about you. It is not about not about you getting things. It is not about your wisdom, your understanding. It is none of that. It is about God's name. And he will not abandon you for his name's sake. He will not abandon you and let you go because he is the God of Israel who will do for his glory that he will rescue you for, for his glory. So you need to be courageous and stand and be fueled by this confidence in God today like David.
And you have to stand. It is not because of my strength, Lord, not because of my wisdom and understanding, Lord, none of that. But it is because that it's for your namesake. Rescue me today for my certain trouble. And David does this over and over. We see in the book of Psalms. We see in the book of Samuel. We see throughout his kingship, throughout his reign. We see all of that. David is continuously trusting in the Lord. He's not trusting in anything but in God. Not anything. He's, he even says that, I will not trust in the spears. I will not trust in the javelin. I will not trust in the tools that I have in my disposal, but I will trust in the Lord because it is wise to trust in God. So that's the first thing we learn from David's life. Trust in the Lord in every circumstances. And no matter what kind of Goliath you come up, come up against, you'll be able to fight and win the battle. And number two, no opportunities from snares. No opportunities from snares. This one goes without saying much. But still, there needs to be made a distinction between opportunity and a trap. Most of the time, opportunities, they come. But uh, you have to be very smart and very wise to recognize those opportunities. But also you need to be wise to recognize the traps or the snares or the downfall. What, it, what might look like an opportunity may not be actually opportunity. It might be just a fluke in a long term, right? And we get some time in trouble, not because we jumped direct, directly on the trap. We, we didn't do we didn't want it to go exactly in the trouble. Nobody wants to get beaten up. Nobody wants to get in trouble, right? We all want to get through this uh, the situation successfully. And when we think that is an opportunity, we want to get through that opportunity as opportunity, not as a trap. But sometimes what happens is we think that's an opportunity when we take the job. Sometimes we think that's an opportunity and get married to that person and pursue the relationship. And we think sometimes it's an opportunity and we invest, we think it's an opportunity and we do things. And it looks enticing, it looks attractive. How could this not be an opportunity? But then later you find out that the job you took, the place you went to work for is a horrible place. You found out that your boss is so mean and abusive. And you found out that the investment you did would look like an opportunity, turned out to be a complete fake, and it, it wasn't an opportunity. It turned out it was a disaster after all. So this is what we're going to talk about today. We have to recognize that God has called all of us for our specific purpose. But sometimes we feel like going in the different direction because it looks enticing. The money is big. The relationship looks like it's going to flourish. The friends look good. And all of them look good. But in the end, the result might be it is taking you further from God's calling, taking you from further, further from God's plan for your life. This could be just a mirage, like in the in the wilderness, in the desert. It may be just looking like a water ahead of you, but it's just a mirage. That could be the reality. We see something similar in the life of David as well. When David was anointed king, you know, Saul was very insecure. And he knew that he's going to take the place of his son, Jonathan. And that's why he's trying to prevent this from happening but God has already spoken so all Israelites all Israel knew that David is going to be the second king so Saul wants to kill him Saul wants to kill David um, 
So David, when he found out that he's going to get killed, he just wouldn't stick around, right, in the in the royal family. At this time, his fame is grown, and he's living. He's one of the popular captain of Saul. He is leading the armies in battle, and he's getting victories. And people knew that. People noticed that. At this time, when David, uh, the Saul's insecurity grew, he tried to kill him. And then what happened next? David flees. And now he is an outlaw. He is an outcast. And he goes in the wilderness, in the in the place called En Gedi. En Gedi is a place where he is hiding with other outlaw men. Though he gathers all the outlawed men together and they make him the leader of all of those men. So they are hiding in there. But someone one day told Saul, King Saul, that David is hiding in the place called En Gedi. And Saul goes after him. Even he is outlaw, he wants to get the job done. He wants to kill David and be done with this and protect his kingdom, protect his line of throne. He wants Jonathan, his son, to be the next king, not David. So he wants to kill. And other people also had told Saul that he is, David wants to harm you, take the throne by force. And there is a lot of tragedy in there. This is and this is this is this is what happens in the book of we see read this in the book of Samuel chapter 24 and when david heard that saul is coming after to kill him he hides he hides with the with other men in a cave and back in the cave they hide and then we read in the first samuel chapter 24 verse 3 it says at the place where the road passes some sheepfold Saul went into the into a cave to relieve himself. He went to the bathroom, that means. But as it happened, David and his man were hiding further back in that very cave. This is a wonderful opportunity. Look at this. Saul is wanting to kill David. And then David finds Saul alone in this cave now because he's, he enters the cave. It's in the Middle East, so it's very hot outside. And it's blindingly hot. When he gets in the dark, you know that how we cannot see anything. When you, get from, when you come back from uh, light, if we enter in the dark, it is we cannot see it immediately. Our eyes are very difficult to just uh, refocus. And it, it, it slowly happens, but it takes time. So he does not see David and his men in that cave. Look, for David and his men, this appears as an opportunity. Look at this. This is a perfect opportunity. And the, one of the men even says to David, he says, in the book of Samuel, again, 24, he says, Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, David, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with you as you wish. So David listens to this man, and then he crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But right here, something didn't feel right for him. Right here, something is not right. This would certainly make him the next king, for sure. He would he'd come out holding Saul's head, and then everybody would immediately bow before him. All the caravan outside waiting for Saul to relieve himself. They would just, from out of the cave he comes, holding Saul's head, and they would all pray, praise, and they would all uh, proclaim David the next king. That would go perfectly. But it's not sitting right with David. That's not what he wants. Look what it says in the book of Samuel 24, 5-7. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. 
he said to his man, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself had chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, something happens. Look at this. He has this perfect opportunity right here that he can kill Saul and be done with everything. But Saul, he comes out with relief and then he does not even know that David could have killed him. But Saul says, no, 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 hang on, hang on. This looks like an opportunity, but this is not opportunity. So we must restrain from killing Lord's anointed because I don't want to establish my throne. I don't want to establish my kingdom saying that I killed David. I, I killed Saul. I killed Saul by hiding in a cave. That's not how I want to do it. So he listens to the voice of God. He listens to the what his, his conscience was telling him and it does not kill. This is why, this is precisely why God called him man after his own heart. So look at this. What appeared as a perfect opportunity for David, he turned it down. He said, I will not take this matter into my own hands. You see, later David comes out of the cave after Saul. And from a distance, he showed Saul his a piece of the robe, uh, cloth he has cut off. He shows to Saul and he says, look. Saul, King Saul, I could have killed you right here in the cave. And why do you believe when other people say that I want to harm you? If I wanted to harm you, I would have harmed you today right here. And I would become, I would become the next king. And Saul looks at that and he goes, oh my goodness. It is really true that David doesn't want to kill me. My son, he says, I'm sorry. Basically apologizes. He stops pursuing and he goes back. But let's talk about us. What about you? Do you accept a lot of things in your life thinking they are opportunity? It looks like God has given you right in your hand. It looks like God is telling you, take that money, take that money. God is telling you, take that job, take that job. God is telling you, do that ministry, talk about that and do that and that. And it, it looks like opportunity. But is it an opportunity? Have you ever asked yourself? Have you ever asked yourself? Because we will know it wasn't an opportunity when we get in trouble and we have to shift and drift away from that very place which we thought an opportunity. And very things ha very thing happens to all the time to all of us. We think it is perfect thing to do. We think it is the right thing to do and we do it. We don't listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you today, my brothers and sisters, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the word of God and do what God has called you to do. You need to examine. You need to sit down and you need to take a stock and say, is it really an opportunity? Let me pray about it. If you feel something isn't right, if you feel something isn't sitting right with you, you need to stop. You need to pray. You need to think. And you need to ask people around you and they will guide you and lead you. So sometime, again, opportunity may look like opportunities, but they might be snares. I want to admonish and I want to encourage you to look further than what's on the surface. Ask Holy Spirit before you make big decisions in your life. Wait for God to place you in the position where you can fulfill your purpose. Number three, let's talk about another last thing that we can learn from the life of David. Don't make decisions emotionally. Let me ask you this question. Do you decide in the peak of your emotions? When you're at the peak of your emotion, that means when you're really angry, do you make decisions hastily? Uh, 
for example, when you're when you're getting angry and upset with your brothers or sisters, and you say, I will never talk to you. I hate you. You're the worst. And you say the things that you don't mean. How you always do that? You are so, so bad. And you go on and on because just because you're angry. And and opposite it is true as well. When you're really excited and happy, you say, I promise I will do this for you, man. You got it. And you make those decisions at the peak of your emotion, not knowing what happened, what will happen next. But ask yourself, is that a wise thing to do? Is that a wise thing to do? You need to stop. When you're emotionally at the peak, emotionally you are, you can, you are not in control of yourself and you're just saying it because it's it feels right at the moment. It feels justified. I will do that. I am justified, whatever I do. It feels right. But that might not be actually a wise thing to do in the end. We can learn from the story of David again. It's this very thing. When David is now still is still outlaw, he encounters a man named Nabal. His sheep and the shepherds were protected by the band of David's men. We and then, and then when there was a season of sheep shearing season, David sends a messenger to kindly ask for some food during the time of celebration. David is sending one of these young men. He says to Nabal, basically, we protected you. We looked after you. Let's read this scripture. It says in the book of Samuel again, chapter 25, verse 6 to 9, it says, Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your men and they were... Um, Staying with us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. As ask your own men, and they will tell you this is true. So, would you please be kind to us, since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us, and with your friend David. David's David's young man gave this message to Nabal, in David's name, and they waited for a reply. But then. Nabal replies in contempt. He's like, who the heck they think they are? <laughs> this is exactly what he says. He says, who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young man. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are a lot of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat? I have slaughtered from my shearers and give it to the band of outlaws who come from who knows where? is basically saying, who do you think you are? How dare you think you can just come and ask for food and we'll give it to you? And after the what happens, David, the messenger goes back to David and David gets extremely angry. He gets really angry. Sure enough, it was disappointing and contemptuous. But look at this. David gets very angry. The first thing he says is, get your shorts. <laughs> then all of the men strapped the sword and they went to kill Nabal and all of his household. At this time, you can tell that David isn't thinking much. He just wants to kill all of them. He wants to justify what Nabal said by his actions. Meanwhile, we see that Nabal's wife, Abigail, is unaware of what, what had taken place there. So a servant comes to Abigail and she tells this is what happened. A man, David's man, came asking for some food for celebration, but Nabal, this your husband, he did this. And she's terrified. And she ought to. She understands. She's wiser than Nabal, at least. And then she gets off on his on her donkey, packs all the food, and she goes running towards David, and she knows what's coming. 
And this is, look at this. This is what the Bible says. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 23 to 21. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at the feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young man you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into, into your own hands, let all your enemy and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is the present that I, your servant, have brought to you and to your for you and for your men. Look at that. She comes and she reminds David who he is, who he is. She tells him, Hey, David, you know that your kingdom is going to be established and you don't want to take murder and vengeance in your own hands. Even she said, even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God. And why are you trying to do this? Take this blood in your hand. And she tells further. Don't let this be blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear uh, the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. What an incredible thing. What an incredible thing. She reminds him, she tells him that, she tells him that you don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murdering and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if he had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. Look at this. What a tragedy would have taken place. And not only that, Nabal and his family would be destroyed. That's one thing. And But what would David live with? He would live with taking, live with, with taking the vengeance in, in his own hand. He let the emotion ride his justification. He let the emotion tell him what to do. He let this emotion drive him into this crazy action. And today, this is exactly what I'm talking about. If we do not have control over our emotion, if we don't think about this thing, we can slide into the temp temptational temptation where we justify our anger, our everything, our emotion, we justify our emotion. David made the decision at the peak of his anger. But look at this, wisdom and humility of Abigail stopped the bloodshed. And, and and what about you? Do you make decisions when you're really angry? Do you say those things like, I'll never talk to you again? And then you never talk to them again in 10 years, but then you regret that decision every single day. And you say, I hate you to your brothers, and you regret that because you said that in the peak of your emotion. And then you talk to your wife, your, your fiance, and say, we are done now. And then... In your anger, in your upset, you do that. And many people commit suicide when they're really upset. You know that, right? They, they get really sad, really depressed. They let the emotion just make this home. And then they, they, they said, there's no worth. There's no meaning to this life. And they die. They commit suicide. The point is, 
you need to be careful when the emotion is trying to drive your life. And I'll tell you this, I know a lot of people who let their emotion control them all the time. They think that emotional justification is correct. They think that whatever they, they feel, they have to just, just blurt, it, blurt it out. They think that emotion justifies everything. You don't have to let your emotion control you. You need to go before God. Whenever you are struck with uh, with a tragedy, struck with emotional turbulence, and whatever turmoil is going in your life, you need to stop and check your emotions. And, and before you say something, before you decide something, you need to ask yourself this question, is this what I'm doing today? Is this going to be a good thing in long long term? Am I going to regret the decision that I'm making today? And then most of, for most of us, that's a very wise thing to do. And you will immediately recognize the damage you're about to do, damage you're about to speak into. So be careful in the future when you make decisions. Don't let, don't let emotion ride you. Like David, he got angry and he got up and he said, we're going to kill and destroy everything. And that's not what God had wanted for him to do. That's not what uh, you and I should do. That's not what anybody should do. We need to think before we get really angry or really happy. And we don't we should, that, that, that will prevent from ruining your relationships, future relationships, ruining your career, ruining your own life and your own. A lot of things are at stake. So many people have gone stray because they decided in their anger. I want to encourage you today. Don't make decisions from the lowest point of the valley when you cannot see everything clearly from that position. When you feel like you're really angry, shut yourself and pray and seek God and seek God right now, right away and make decisions while you are at the top of the mountain. So these are the three things I want to talk to you about today. Three decisions you need to make in your life. Again, three decisions, three lessons I, I learned from David and you and I can learn from David. Number one, again, is trust God, not on your own strength. Remember the story of David and Goliath. And number two, no opportunities from snares. Remember the story of David and Saul. And number three, don't make decisions emotionally. Don't make decisions hastily. Remember the story of David and Nabal. These three things will help us shape our life in a way that glorifies and honors God. And it will cause you to be in less trouble than you would initially be. I hope you enjoyed this lesson and I'll be with you next time. Take care. Goodbye.